Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. When Christ and the Holy Spirit come into our lives, that longing for them is finally filled. We are filled with peace. However, we develop a hunger for the kingdom of heaven and the restoration of this world. You're listening to More Hungry, More Full by Reverend Peter Yonker. Our scripture reading tonight is from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, verses 1 through 5, and I'm going to add, 1 through 5 is printed in your bulletin, I'm going to add verses 14 through 20. So 1 through 5, and then I'll skip down to 14 and read 14 through 20. This is Paul, of course, and Paul's thinking about heaven. He's thinking about the new life, the life everlasting. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we're in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Paul talks more about this great promise of the gospel. He talks about how he feels compelled to go out and share this ministry of reconciliation and He's so compelled to do it that some people tell him that he is out of his mind. And then he says this. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. And now verse 14. For Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and then was raised again. So from now on, We look at no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once looked at Christ that way, we do so no longer. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. And all this came from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ and not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us that message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. And we implore you on God's, Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. This is the word of the Lord. It's been my experience as a a pastor, as a preacher, um, that people love to speculate about the afterlife. When you talk to, to church members, you go visit, especially an elderly person, they love to think about the world to come and what that will be like. And often that kind of speculation takes the form of warm sort of daydreams, sort of, I wonder how it will be. You know, I wonder, you know, what will happen in heaven? How, how will, will we be able to, to, will we still be cooking and eating in heaven? I know we'll be singing, but what about, will we write music? Will there be pets? Will I see some of my old pets in heaven? Will there be baseball? Will there be golf in heaven? 
That one seems to get a lot of play for some reason, that last one. Will there be golf in heaven? I read interesting speculation on that last question. I think it was John Ortberg who wrote it about whether or not there'll be golf in heaven. And he said this. So he said, well, we know that there will be no lying, cheating, or swearing in heaven. So that doesn't look good for golf. On the other hand, we know that in the other place, there will be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And that sounds a lot like a golf course to me. So his conclusion was, no, there'll be no golf in heaven. I don't know if he's right about that. That's the less serious version of our heavenly speculation. That's the kind of thing we do sometimes. But sometimes these daydreams are much more serious than that. Especially if there's someone that you love who's gone, who you long to see again. Especially if that someone was young when you lost them. And you long to see them again and you wonder, what will it be like to see them? How will they be? Will they be young? Will they be mature? I think about my wife's brother who died at 19 and whom I've never met. What will it be like to meet him there? That's a heavenly daydream too, but a much more serious one and a good one. So a lot of the times our, our, our heavenly speculations are full of joyful hope in this warm thinking. In 2 Corinthians 5, however, Paul is also thinking about heaven, but his heavenly reflection does not read like a warm daydream at all. It's nothing warm about it. There's something tortured about it. It takes the form of almost like a gnawing hunger. Here's what he says. For we know that if that earthly tent we live in is destroyed... We have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For Paul, heaven is a longing. Thinking about heaven causes him to groan, to lean. It doesn't make him feel content. It makes him feel the opposite. And Paul's not alone in this way of thinking. In one of his books, Mark Buchanan, who's a Christian author, writes about the groaning, the longing that he feels. This is a book he wrote a while ago. While he was a minister in a place called Duncan, British Columbia. I don't know if you know where Duncan, British Columbia is. It's on Vancouver Island. And if you've been to Vancouver Island, Vancouver Island is absolutely gorgeous. It's one of the most beautiful places in the world. So Mark Buchanan was an author. He wrote in Christianity Today. He's written many books. He's a successful pastor. He is a great pastor on this beautiful place. And this is how he reflects about his life in that place. I'm 41. I'm in fairly good shape. I ride my bike more than I drive. I read novels, history, theology, poetry. I listen to all sorts of music. I have meaningful, interesting work to do, preaching, teaching, counseling, writing. I travel. I get to garden. I have a beautiful family, a wife who is funny, healthy, and pretty, three children who are strong, smart, and growing like they ought to. I have good neighbors, the kind who swap eggs with us and take in our mail when we're away. My life is good, as good as it gets. And yet, and yet, says Buchanan, I spend a lot of time groaning. 
My life is great. I should be ecstatic. I should be happy. And yet, sometimes on a sunny Saturday morning, I find myself standing in my living room and I'm restless, like something's wrong. How I can identify with Mark Buchanan, personally, I'm 55, not 41. My life is pretty good. I've got a great job in a town that I like, in a great community. I have a wife whom I love. I have three great kids who are doing really well. I don't worry about them too much. And yet, there's time on a sunny Saturday morning when I should feel nothing but contentment, and I don't. I feel restless. And I'm willing to bet that many of you understand exactly how I feel. Now, what is going on? Why do we feel that way? Are we selfish? Am I spoiled? Am I just lacking in gratitude? Do I need to get over myself and count my blessings and cheer up a little bit? Well, maybe a little. But I think there's more than that going on. Buchanan thinks, and Paul agrees with him, that this groaning that we have is not merely selfishness. This groaning inside us is a kind of holy speech, a movement of the Holy Spirit, a sign, a word from the Holy Spirit inside of us that we were made for something more. It is the pull of everlasting life. We are restless because the Holy Spirit says to us, this is not your home. You are made to be in another place and be a different kind of creature altogether. To use Paul's words in the passage, we can wear the best clothes in life and still feel like we long, like we're naked and we need to be clothed. We can live in the best, absolute best house in the world with all the amenities and still feel like we're living in a drafty tent longing for a heavenly home. Our hunger is a holy hunger for the life everlasting. Of course, we people don't always recognize it that way. A lot of the times, these holy hunger, we think it's, oh, we just don't have what I need in this world, you know? People feel this holy hunger and they think they're hungry because their house isn't big enough or their wife isn't pretty enough or their car isn't new enough. And so they go get a new car and a bigger house and a new wife. And for a little while, maybe, they feel a little better the hunger returns. The preacher of Ecclesiastes put it this way. I've seen the burden that God has laid on people. He has set eternity in their hearts. A burden. Eternity in your hearts. A burden. I want to finish this sermon with three observations about this burden, this restless hunger that the Holy Spirit puts in our hearts, implications for what it means to live as Christian people. Three things. First, I think when you recognize this, it clarifies for us what it feels like to follow Jesus. What it feels like to follow Jesus. Sometimes uh, when we're followers of Jesus, we think we're supposed to feel a certain way. We think we're supposed to have the Always the joy, 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 joy down in our hearts. We're supposed to be in right, out right, down right, happy all the time. We should be happy and we know it, and we should clap our hands. And that's not all wrong. I mean, there's truth in that. Paul talks about a peace that passes understanding that is in our hearts, and the catechism talks about a deep-rooted assurance that should be ours when we follow Jesus. 
But sometimes this talk of happiness is misleading. The fact of the matter is that when you give your life to Jesus, he increases both ends of your longings. He makes you more happy and more joyful, but he also makes you more restless. He makes you more hungry, but he also makes you more full. Both of those things. And we saw that in the two Psalms that we read this morning, didn't we? That dynamic is already present in the Psalms. You have these Psalms of joy like Psalm 65 or Psalm 150, where the psalmist is expressing enormous praise or great thanksgiving. And then just a few Psalms later, you could have a Psalm like Psalm 44, which was really down, right? Or Psalm 88, which is down further still. When the Holy Spirit is in you, you feel both more hungry and more full. That's what it feels like to follow Jesus. Second, when we recognize this holy hunger, it can be have an apologetic purpose. This hunger is one of the ways we know that God is real. In a movie called Sunshine, which came out years ago, Ralph Fiennes played a man who grew up Jewish, but he was nominally Jewish. He was an atheist. He grew up with atheistic parents, told that God didn't exist, but then he went through the trauma of the Second World War, and that caused him to rethink things. And he started to wonder about his identity and about the existence of God, so he went to his mother and said, Mother, does God exist? Do you believe in God? Does God exist? And his mother said, No, that is not one of my neuroses. She was very smug about it. And then Ray Fine said, well, If God doesn't exist, how come we miss him so much? One of the best evidences of everlasting life is the pull of eternity in our hearts that everybody feels. As C.S. Lewis said, creatures are not born with desires, hungers, unless a satisfaction for that desire exists. A baby feels hunger. There's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. There's such a thing as water. People feel sexual desire there's such a thing as sex. And Lewis says, I find in myself a desire, a hunger, which no experience on this earth can satisfy, and the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. We groan because we long to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. We groan because we are made for another home, and that home is real. Finally, this restlessness that we have that the Holy Spirit puts in us drives us towards action. Some people criticize uh, too much thinking about heaven that it somehow um, makes us stop doing things, right? That was Marx. Religion is the opiate of the people, right? It sedates people. Uh, too heavenly-minded, no earthly good. That's not Paul. In our passage, Paul thinks about heaven and the vision that he sees there and that restlessness that gets inside him, it compels him. Christ's love compels me, he says. What does it compel him to do? To go out on these missionary journeys, to do these things that are so radical that people accuse him of being out of his mind, to go through shipwrecks and abuse for the sake of sharing the gospel with others. This holy restlessness within him drives him to action. He sees the world as it can be he hungers for that world, and he must share it. What is this like? It's a way of seeing. 
And it reminds me a little bit of um, what it was like to go to a junk shop or a flea market with my late father-in-law. My late father-in-law, and this is becoming very clear to us as we clean out the condo, he was, a, he was a handyman, and he loved tools, and he loved stuff, and he knew about all kinds of stuff. So if you went to like an old antique shop or a, um, a flea market with him, you'd be walking around, and you'd be looking at tray after tray, and to you, this is just old junk. But he would say, oh, look at that. You know what that is? That is a thingamabob. And you know what that does? That could, you do this, and oh, it's a great, and then he lay down 250 for it, and he'd take it, and then, oh, that's a thingamajig, and that, oh, it's great, and he'd, so he'd buy all these things that are full in his condo, believe me, and he'd, he'd do amazing things with them. He'd take them home, and he'd use them for great purposes. What to us looked like junk, he saw in a different way, and that compelled him to do something with that junk. My father-in-law did with junk, the Spirit teaches us to do with the world around us. We look at people, we look at things, and we no longer see them from an earthly point of view, right? That's Paul. We no longer see things from an earthly point of view. We look at the most beleaguered, broken-down human being, and we see that that person is made in the image of God, and that person could be glorious. We look at a broken down, beat up neighborhood and we say, no, something could be better. Peace could be shown in that place. Flourishing could happen there. We look at the church with all its problems and we don't throw up our hands and give up. We say, no, the spirit is moving in this place. It can be better. Christ's love compels us. Mother Teresa was a person who had that kind of way of looking at the world. Right? She went through the slums of Calcutta, saw beggars covered with sores, and she would say, I see, in, I see God in every human being. When I wash the leper's wounds, I feel like I am nursing the Lord himself. Is this not a beautiful experience? I pray that for every single one of us, the Holy Spirit will give us a full longing for the courts of heaven. And I pray that that longing will sometimes fill us with daydreams of people that we will meet again. And I pray that sometimes it will fill us with a holy hunger that will drive us to action for Christ and his kingdom. Amen. Lord, we thank you for the promises of heaven and the way that those promises are put in your word. Lord, Thank you for the Holy Spirit that you put in our heart that will not let us get content with the way things are, will not let us get content with this place right here, but always drives it towards you and your new creation. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord. Fill us both with contentment and restlessness so that we may be your people in the world. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to LaGrave Avenue, CRC's sermon podcast.